The following views and opinions expressed on Joy Has Questions podcast are not to be confused and or affiliated with any other corporations, companies, businesses, LLCs, and any other acronym that you can possibly think of. Basically, these are my own opinions on my own platform. And now everybody, let's get on with the show. Hey, good people. It's your girl Joy Has Questions, dropping some new fire for you all to listen to for the week. Starting with, you guessed it, you better know. This week for You Better Know, I'm dropping some knowledge regarding Sarah Rector, who was for all accounts from the good old Wikipedia considered the first black millionaires of Kansas City, Missouri. This queen was born in 1902 near the all-black town of Taft, located in the eastern portion of Oklahoma in what was then known as Indian Territory. Having five siblings, herself and her parents, Joe Rector and his wife, Rose McQueen, were descendants of the Creek Nation Creek Indians who, before the Civil War, had signed the Treaty of 1866. So basically, they were listed as freemen and entitled to land allotments under that treaty with the United States government. Now, this is when it gets good. So nearly 600 black children were granted 160 acres of land each. So apparently these motherfuckers did know how to give away 40 acres and a mule. They just didn't do it to everyone. This was a mandatory step in the process of integration of the Indian Territory in Oklahoma, which is what ultimately formed the state. So even from the beginning, Sarah was provided something that a lot of African-Americans did not have access to, which was land, equity, something I can look at on these rolling hills and go, bitch, everything the light touches is my kingdom. It's also interesting to see the tie-in between indigenous people on the land that was taken and later became the U.S. as a way to better understand the depth of our culture as black people. Not everyone was from a slave ship, y'all. I understand that is where a lot of our heritage does come from, but some were right here in America and had lived peaceably with one another until the spirit of Caucasity decided to dock its raggedy-ass boat on the shores and make demands on how people should live. But I digress back to Sarah. She basically felt like this girl is the original Beverly Hills. I'm not ever going to call that queen of hillbilly. But this is how the story pretty much happened. They fell into their wealth when, in an attempt to meet the $30 land tax, her father leased their property to the Standard Oil Company. Now, what they did was drill a hole that wound up being what is known in mining terms or in drilling terms as a gusher that wound up producing 2,500 barrels of oil a day. So basically, he started receiving a daily income of $300 from the strike. This is also when you get to see how trash these laws are. So the law in Oklahoma at the time required full-blooded Indians, black adults, and children who were citizens of the Indian Territory, if they had a significant amount of money or property, they were assigned to well-respected white guardians. Let me get this straight. My whole grown ass got to sit here and get a money manager that I didn't even ask for who could take my shit and run. Good old America with a K. Just putting it out there. So pretty much her dad began to receive like a lot of pressure from um, the municipal government to basically get a white resident named T.J. Porter, who was known by the family to be this guardian. 
So basically in 1813, the rectors received royalties of $11,567. And I already know that the racists were too pissed that they couldn't outright get their hands on the family's claim. Like, what you gonna do? Y'all signed a treaty, gave them the land, and then realized that you gave them something worth way more than you thought it was gonna be. So this is what got super crazy. The pressure and misrepresentation of this little girl and her family got so bad that in 1914, the Chicago Defender began to take an interest in the Rector family as rumors began to fly that she was a white immigrant who was being kept in poverty. Now, if you all ever have seen a picture of this little girl, and I implore you to go do so, she is a beautiful little chocolate girl. She looked like Addie from the American Girl Collection. She What? The newspaper basically published an article claiming that her estate was being mismanaged, that her family was uneducated, and that she had a poor quality of life. So this, in turn, made national black leaders such as Booker T. Washington and W.B. Du Bois become concerned about her welfare. So in June, they assigned a special agent named James C. Waters who sent a memo saying, like, yo, we have to do something to help them out because he had been corresponding with the Bureau of Indian Affairs and also with the USA Children's Bureau over how the estate was being mismanaged. Now, this is what's so fucking dope. Because of this one little girl in this situation and just the fortune that she fell into, this caused W.E.B. Dubois to establish the Children's Department of the NAACP, which would investigate claims of white guardians who were suspected of depriving black children of their land and wealth. This part literally blew my mind. So October of that year, they enrolled Sarah into a children's school. And then from there, she went on to graduate from Tuskegee. Hello. Come First off, can we talk about the fact that when the girl graduated at 18, she was a millionaire. The original Megan Thee Stallion, the original Hot Girl Summer, like her life was just a hot life, period. All seasons were accounted for. So after graduating from Tuskegee, she moved back to Kansas City where she purchased a house on 12th Street, which is still known to this day as the Rector House. So from going from that, that perception of, you know, being this black little girl in abject poverty and, oh, Lord, what are we going to do to help this poor heathen child? You know, all these white tears going out to this girl, which actually was people just trying to get their hands on her money. She was able to live a life that was full. She was known for entertaining a lot of significant and prominent African-Americans. People like Count Basie, Duke Ellington used to come to her home and she would entertain them as well as provide a safe haven from them. She died in July 22nd of 1967 at the age of 65, and then her remains are still within her hometown of Taft. Now, also, I think it's really amazing to note that in the case of Sarah, two crazy things happened. This girl was so rich that she was able to get around racism. What do you mean, Joy? I mean this. She was rich to the point that there were laws made or adapted in Oklahoma that allowed her to basically move about as a white person, like you are free to move around the country as a Caucasian. Because what happened was they said someone of her social standing and wealth should be treated accordingly. So this is the first case of what I have always said. This country is not black and white. This country is green. And whoever has the green is the person or the group or the community or the race, ethnicity, whatever, who is treated a certain way. It has nothing to do with pigmentation of your skin or education or lack of it or intelligence. Race, 
as fucked up as it is, it's still a social construct. We just live with the effects of that disease of racism. But for this young woman, it was literally just a situation of the odds were ever in her favor. So shout out to her for being such a beautiful, beautiful soul who was able to overcome all of those stereotypes and cash the fuck out in the process. Come on now. Everybody, it's your girl Joy has questions. And this is No Way She Codes. Or whatever. Ow. Uh, sorry. Ew. Ew. We're going to practice. She's going to get it, y'all. My braces got caught. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know that hurt. I was trying to you do it. You were like, ow. Oh, ow. That wouldn't actually hurt. Damn, where is May when you need it, Jesus? No, but hey, everybody, just coming through with another great segment for Geeked Up. And today, what do you have for us, girl? So I actually want to talk about how Twitter, the platform that we all use, and, you know, black Twitter is really moving. Um, but the actual company themselves, um, their culture and community team brought together black people in Harlem and black people in Lagos, Nigeria, oh. to have a sit-down dinner virtually. Um, I and I think it's super dope because... Yes. Um, a big thing they talked about is the African diaspora and, you know, how there's black people of all cultures in all different countries, but we all kind of stem from the same, pl- same place and sometimes that's forgotten. So, you know, they got served... Um, in America, they got served Senegalese food, so they had some type of African food to relate to them. And it literally, like, the setup is like a dinner table, the projection screen, and you see their dinner table on the side. So the illusion that it's one long dinner oh, table. Oh, Right? You know? And Give it, me some optics. Right? So I absolutely loved it. I was like, that's, that's kind of cool that Twitter would want to bring together um, these two communities. And they were able to kind of talk, how is tech there? How is tech where we are? What is going on? Um... It is politically, what is your political climate like there, you know, and just what are the struggles that we're going through and what are the things that you guys do that, you know, we do too. What do we have in common in these two countries? Because even though we're all black, like I said, different cultures, we're all experiencing different things, good, bad, ugly, amazing. No, I think that's super dope. I mean, some of my favorite, you know, even style bloggers definitely are like, you know, from Africa and I'm sitting here like, I don't know where this perception came from. That, you know, this is a super... I think that's part of the lie, right? They want people to keep thinking like, oh, it's just, it's so disenfranchised. It's still wild. I'm like, this world is mining the fuck out of Africa. Getting all of its resources. I think like per capita, the most millionaires come from Nigeria. I was like... They These kids out money, here money, money, money. with Game Boy mm. switches, kicking it. Like, they making it rain all day. I and really want to correct you, but you're going to have that one. What? You said a Game Boy switch, but you're going to have it. I'm, no, I meant like Game Boy. So let I, me be great. I, I just said I'm, I'm not even going. Mm. Side note, there's an anime Netflix documentary. I almost clicked play. What is it? What was it called? It's something about anime. <laughs> how, about, how about this? You watch it and I watch it and we're going to discuss it. And it's going to be a topic. It's going to be a show. We're Girl, discuss I it. do not need homework. But yeah, it did look <laughs> interesting. I was like, well, you know what? For Gabby. You know like, what? Let's just try it. But I, I was too busy so watching Mindhunters. So that's something I definitely would have talked to them about. The same, like, <laughs> sis. Tell us how nutty the white people are where you are at. Because- and that's, but that's also crazy. Like, Netflix in other countries is like different like they have different shows so i wondered like that's something they talked about like what if they talked about netflix I like girl what you be watching first <laughs> off when i went to paris i finally caught up on the in last season of downtown abbey i was so excited yeah. i was like oh, i got english subtitles let's do 
this. So I think that's like super dope though. You all jokes aside, just looking at the fact of leveraging, like, I don't even know what bucket that goes under for Twitter. If that's more so like culture and events, if that's DNI based, whatever. But I think that's phenomenal. And I definitely feel like that's an idea girl watch. That's going to spring up. People going to start doing that. Like literally, like, can you imagine having like a, a black excellent brunch with like Trail Thomas and he's doing one and then projecting it to like, you know, a Chicago or doing something somewhere. That would be super cool. So dope. And I think that it's cool to bring together um, just the different people, because I feel like America makes a lot of us forget where we came from, what our roots are like. And we just think we're so different than black people in other countries when it's just like, honestly, we have a lot of similarities. Yeah. But it's like, people are unaware of that. So it's like cool to just bring our people together. Remember that we are still united no matter where we are, where we live, you know? Let me tell you something. Best time I had was in Paris and I was just kicking it with the Algerians and I'm like, I fuck with y'all so heavy. I feel like I'm back in the South side. So (laughs) so no, that's super dope. And that's, that's something that everyone like just taking those little steps to like actually bond us like I think that's what's also helping our synergy like more and more I feel like we are just like we are sick of the bullshit and let's just find like cool ways to actually like love up on one another so kudos to them yeah I think that it's something that many companies might jump on the wave especially like companies that have bases you know in many other countries like why isn't this like I think all the time. And because I, mean, I think sometimes companies are too busy trying to reinvent the wheel instead of just doing commonsensical, logical shit or, you know, throwing half the budget to, you know, the glitz and glamour of the space. And I'm like, but sis, that's not what makes a party pop. No one is going to be like, did you see that really nice, like stained glass gilding? That was- <laughs> My God, as I drank that fourth Bombay Sapphire cocktail, really just the way the like light you. hit it. <laughs> like, I no one really gives a fuck about don't that. like you. You specifically, you right there, I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no one ever in, the po- in, you know, in anyone's post-mortem goes, you know, I really liked the molding. Like, the crown molding was just phenomenal. So... It's those things that, like, start focusing on things that actually are going to unify people. And I feel like it shouldn't even be just black people. Like, think about, especially in, like, tech companies, think about how many different ethnicities work at tech companies that they should be, you know, connecting with each other. So it's just, like, I I just think it's, I'm really proud of Twitter. Go Twitter. Continue doing great things. (laughs) Be me up, Scotty. That was cool. Okay. And I really hope that you continue, that you continue to set the trend and impact how other companies are dealing with diversity and inclusion because... That really, that right there. If I worked for Twitter, I'd be like, "Oh, you, you care about us." Yeah, like that's lit. And not only just us, like us everywhere. Right. So, oh, that us everywhere. Us everywhere. Who put Ooh. that on a shirt? I'm gonna. Yeah, we're gonna pin that. Okay. But no, that's amazing. So I'm um, definitely thanks love for dropping that amazing knowledge on us. And then we will move right along with the next segment for Joy has questions. Ooh. Everybody, it's your girl Joy has questions, and I am, you know, super excited to be sitting here. My edges have been under control for the week. God is good. Like I haven't, I haven't had too many situations that made me go, you know, I've had just about enough. So I am super, super excited about that. Um, I am blessed to be sitting here with this amazing, talented brother. Um, shout out to No Way She Codes. 
see, geeked up. Gabby, it's, yep. it's definitely like no. Helping. She she definitely said my name, so I will make sure I said it back. Gabby, oh, definitely, look. definitely. So my girl Gabby Krevker, um, you all know the segment geeked up that she does on the show, and she was just like, oh, Kevin, he's bomb. You got to get him on the show. He's amazing. Got this super dope brand. I'm like, well. <laughs> Come on, Synergy. Let's just do this. <laughs> so I have the founder of I Play Games sitting here right in front of me. I'm, er, I'm so excited. But give the people what they want. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Favorite color? I uh, feel like this is one of those interesting moments where you like give the the uh, elevator pitch. Exactly. So, no, yeah. My name is Kevin Fair. I am a uh, Chicago Southside native, and I am the founder and owner of I Play Games, which is your turnkey solution for video game events and engagements. So. Uh, for people that are like, what's an engagement? Right. <laughs> so whenever you see somebody having like a video game tournament or a party or especially like when we represent like uh, corporate clients like we do with Chevrolet and they do video game stuff, the idea, the concept, the equipment, the people all come from us. I'm here for that because <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've seen like we're debuting this and I'm just like, this party is drier than the Sahara. Yeah. In the middle of June, <laughs> like no, what is happening? I, I feel like you. I think I think you've hit it like right on the head. Was that I think most people don't think about fun when they think about video game events, and um, for me it was like my passion. So it was a lot of fun, and it was easy to make something like that fun. Um, and then I'd be lying if I didn't say I tried to bring who I am as a black person to those events and let people have fun and laugh at it and get to joke at some of the stuff that normally they don't look at in that way. So, yeah, no, I have a lot of fun. With Sometimes it. I want to play Halo with photo shoot <laughs> in the background. And don't you dare judge me <laughs> like it is what it is. No. So that's amazing. And I think. Um, also like I, I'm very open about the fact like I wasn't raised necessarily in a gaming household. My cousins yeah. were super into it. Like every Nintendo product that came out, the PlayStation. They all, were on it, yeah. <laughs> when PlayStation 2 came out, I'm pretty sure my cousin was about to sell drugs again. <laughs> like he was like, if Auntie Doris doesn't buy this, it, I am nickeling and diming it until I get it. So. No, and I mean, it, it's really interesting, especially when you look at young black men uh, who just happen to be in a space because, you know, just observantly speaking, um, men have been more drawn to it. But when you look at young black men in particular, I always like telling this story. My brother and I, when the Dreamcast came out, it wasn't a PlayStation 2. When Dreamcast came out, we saved $250 for like a year or two. We basically like saved lunch money. We went and cut people's lawns. We raked people's leaves. Now, the funny part of the story is our mother didn't know that. She would have been livid had she known we were holding on to a few hundred dollars, right? <laughs> She'd have been like, these lights need so, to be on. And, <laughs> so, and y'all out here trying to play games. Trying to play real. games, right. So no, real real to life. You you almost you you right on point with it. When we tried to go, we tried to get our dad to go take us to the store to go purchase it. Now, if cell phones hadn't really become a thing, you know, he wouldn't have been able to say, yeah, we're up at the store buying this thing. I don't know what it is. It's something <laughs> off the shelf. And he explains it to my mother. And my mother must, oh, hell no. <laughs> You bring that up right now. <laughs> I thought y'all were just going to go get a game. So my mother takes the money and buys our school, school clothes. Oh, with God. When I tell you, I'd have been like, I would literally go to school naked. And then we earn, and then we earn the money again, right? So we do it all over again. So like you start looking at how like young black boys will be as resourceful as possible. They will learn how to earn through like, hey, like this is like something I'm desiring. You all were to saving. Do. Like we were how saving old were money. you when you did that? Uh, we couldn't have been 
no older than maybe 11 or 12. 11 and 12, and y'all yeah. didn't save $500 for and the we, month. And it was just like we were going to make it happen. So, um, you know, I, I when people tell me, hey, my son is, like, really into this, I go, yeah, I know. You know what I mean? And I know that, like, if you, if you give them the right kind of motivation and you just happen to be in the right kind of um, – you know, give them the right kind of surroundings to mm-hmm. learn how, like, hey, so, like, we didn't steal. You know what I mean? Most right. people would be like, did y'all steal this? And it was like, no, we didn't steal it. We just found ways in our neighborhood to try to, you know, give ourselves an opportunity to get something we wanted. And uh, we learned a lesson, right? We learned a lesson. Don't lie to your mama. <laughs> uh, twice. <laughs> twice. Like. Right. And then, no, we, we also learned that, you know, we were capable of doing something. You know, we, we set out for a goal and then we found ways to reach that goal, stuck to it. And um, yeah, and through all the, you know, the no's, we finally got a yes. I think that's, and to be honest, that's an amazing story because literally it's deeper than games, you know, or <laughs> right. just the fact, and it's the lessons that are, that are taught. And a lot of times, you know, especially in our community, we will put that emphasis or that focus in like physical activities. And yep. don't get me wrong, like I understand the statistics and childhood more, uh, obesity and mortality rates and the importance of exercise. I just killed a thing of elotes. I had no business even before you got here so i get it but the same tools that can be taught you know through physical activity Mm -hmm. or through um high school sports or elementary level sports is the same thing that also can be taught you know from a stem perspective or for like what band can teach you or what gaming can teach you And some of those intrinsic skills are character development as well. So I think that's amazing. Like, how many times do we hear these stories of, I really wanted these Jordans. My mama said, no, but now I got stock in Nike. And, oh, I'm 20 and just paid my way through college. You know, like, it's it's ways that we can use the creativity to actually... Mm have equity you know and so even when i think about how you were you were doing that already as a kid you know and now look at you you have a brand that's completely based you know in something that you love and that you appreciate so how did you outside of of horribly upsetting a black mama (laughs) (laughs) how did you get into you know um games or what was it about you or about them that drew you to it um they were just magical i think in a lot of ways the sounds were really inviting to me i think i used to really enjoy the music of it um i think that um they found ways to bring animations that were uh incredibly creative but also inspiring they inspired you to think of these things in your imagination you know i used to tell people um when i was a kid i would have dreams about things that happened in video games and these things were literally um works of art that were inspiring like creativity like in my mind i was imagining what a world would be like in a uh you know a metroid prime or a super mario brothers world um, I remember so vividly enjoying the uh, intro for, uh, I think it was Super Street Fighter 2, not Super Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, and just thinking how um, melodic that little jingle mm-hmm. was. And uh, yeah, no, man, I mean, I, I can recount dreams I had now that, you know, probably were game inspired. And then I think the other really nice thing is that I felt like games were the first media that you took control of. And I think me and my brother really used to think about that, too, where it was like, you guys, you know, everybody in the household is not necessarily a gamer. And we get that. We felt like we were the only gamers. We would say, you guys like watching television, but that's such a passive kind of thing where the the script is being given to you. And we were like, we're playing something where we're inventing the script, even though it's along a carved path. 
we're inventing the script and playing the game the way we want to play had it. A story yeah. and a theme. You know, so it had the story and the theme, all of the different components that make entertainment entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. But we were in control of that. And we just thought that that was a really cool thing to kind of say, well, we're making the story. And guess what? We're not watching how the hero on some show is going through a challenge. You're going through the challenge. Right. The problem solving is on you. And uh, gaming is just a really great tool in that. In that, imagine this. I can't say name another thing that gets kids as excited to problem solve as gaming does without motivating them with a cookie. You don't have to give them no money. You don't have to entice them. We're going to go to the movies afterwards. Cell phones and video games. I have seen kids fall out in full attacks like right. Lord, please don't take my call of yeah. duty i'd rather die than yeah. you take my call of duty no. you know and that that is something where i think you make an excellent point hell i would love a game of thrones video game can i just get season yeah. six as an option i will learn how to game some shit right then and there but yeah. even outside of the of that joke it is a thing of of it is a world onto itself. And another thing is looking at the evolution of games, like product placement. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. once people realize that, oh, Mario has taken up for all these, like, you know, all these, these original, IPs, yep. you know, games and these different ideations started coming out. Yep. Oh, we can put. This isn't just like, you know, where people are going to kick it. This is the Burger King, exactly. you know, and oh, we're yep. going to put h and M ad right in here, like make it as, as literal as possible. I remember for a long time before they got bought by AT&T, Singular used to be in like all of the EA racing games. There mm-hmm. would be billboards that were like Singular Wireless, Singular Wireless. And then I started kind of feeling like I was like, there's a lot of selling out going on, but it I is. get it. I was like, I get it. I was like, this is an expensive world. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so in terms of... of you know, when you were making, you know, it was career choices. And now, you know, you've grown up, you've saved more money, you know, and done things. But um, when you went to college, or was your thing like, yo, I want to instantly go into like being, you know, into a major that'll get me closer to making video games or, or STEM or IT or what was your focus then? So, no, actually, funny enough, I did um, go into school for computer science. I graduated with a Bachelor of Science from LeMoyne on College, the LeMoyne in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, the only historically black college in Memphis. And um, I have never, never I'm heard. going no. to do research. Small, it's, a small, it's a small private school LeMoyne. that brings all of the soul of Memphis right there in that nice South Memphis community. And you will be surprised at the number of people that walk through the musicians, the teachers that'll be like, yeah, no, we grew up here in Lemoyne Gardens. Or, yes, I came and graduated from Lemoyne. And, uh, yeah, I got a uh, computer science degree there. I, um, I was influenced pretty early on becoming a, uh, a uh, developer. Um, In general, I don't think I ever thought about um, getting close to the uh, game development side of things. And I always tell people now, I think a lot of times our idea is that the profession being close to games is, you know, making a game. And I don't think I had a lot of interest in that. But, you know, I knew the job would yield a lot of money. And I don't think um, for me, there were many options around, well, what else do you do? Um, I always enjoy fixing computers. So guess what? When we wanted to have a new game, 
we would try to fix and do different things to the computer. And guess what? Gaming again was inspiring me to learn all of the things that I learned about motherboards, about graphics cards, about processor units. Um, you know, you imagine they put a computer in our house and it started off being like, well, our dad knows the most because he's on a computer every day. And that slowly turned into, no, you can't do that on the computer. Somebody get Kevin. Yeah, somebody come like, get, somebody get Kevin or John what happened on the computer. And so, um, I remember when I worked starting my business, I was working at the same time as a uh, computer technician. And, you know, people would always ask, what made you get into this? I was like, well, if you broke the computer at home from playing video games, you had to fix it before mama got home. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> you know, I learned and got really good at fixing computers really quickly. And I, I had a lot of fun at that. Um, I think it was a lot of fun because it was a service-oriented job. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was doing things for people. And I was talking about something that I like talking about. Um, you know, I was helping people learn about these things that seemed like magic to them, where it was like, well, I click on some stuff and then something comes up. And when it doesn't, I have no idea why. And I feel like I could kind of, <laughs> I, <feel laughs> like I, I feel like I could share some of the little light on it. And I was like, you don't have to become a genius to know what's going on here. Triggered. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I did use, I feel like in, in my office, I felt like I always used to work the hardest for the black women very specifically because I felt like the work we were doing was nonprofit work. I felt like they were so tied to it. We used to have a, uh, a housing program and these people were literally taking homeless people and then put them in houses, you know? And so there would be these people that always complain, but I was like, man, these sisters over here, I feel like when they come to me with a computer problem, like I could see the very real like line of issues is like, if I don't get them up and going, they're going to be up all night trying to place this person in the house, right? You know, and those would be the types of things that would and be like, Carol's this is tired. a lot of... Yeah, like, and Carol... No. <laughs> Carol and somebody's tired. name was Carol. Oh, really? <laughs> there was a Carol. <laughs> Everybody, whenever I think of like social work or the city, everybody's got a Carol. <laughs> and so um, it's funny because... Um, as I was working that job, I did invest back into my business on some of the first things I did, because guess what? I fixed the first bank of Xboxes that I had. So I didn't have any money to go and buy all this game equipment. I was taking people's, um, non refurbished or broken stuff and fixing it on the spot. And, um, there was where I was taking my job and putting that in, you know, to my business. And, uh, you know, for you, the moment that made me walk away from it all was, um, I uh, actually got this really big offer. I worked with one of the big four accounting firms, but I felt like that I, I was never trying to do that. And I kind of sold myself out on like, oh, OK, I'll work for them because it was a lot of money. But found myself incredibly unhappy trying to do um, some of this work that I knew I never wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I was just like, I want to move on to doing something I like doing. And I used to think back to when I brought games in high school and organized tournaments. Say, what if I did that again? And people were like, well, what do you like doing? And I was like, well, I like playing games. I play games. First off, I love, like, the every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, this is so dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Laurentide from, from Insecure, but it's not. Like, it's the same time. But I think that that's super amazing, just the fact that you had that eureka moment of, like, I've been doing what I love to do my entire life. And I'm going to go for mine. Because as much as I love Carol and the rest of the black women, like, this is not... 
fully, you know, what my destiny or what my happiness encapsulates. So I think that's bond that you were just like, well, <laughs> that's a great summary. You summed it up. On <laughs> right. You. Yep. You're like, so now Carol can come to my event. <laughs> no, she, yeah. If she feels the need, <laughs> but I'm not doing that shit no more. Um, so looking in terms of like how your brand has built, and I know you brought up tournaments, which when Gabby told me I was about to pop these nails off, well, hell, <laughs> let me go ahead and learn an XO combination because I'm out here losing literally. Um, what is it or the environment that you try and create, you know, is it more so like, look, this is really for black gamers who want to come through or, you know, I know you have like corporate partnerships mm-hmm. that you deal with as well, where you probably have to adhere to their guest list and everything. But what's the, the energy or the vibe that you like to create when you have your events going? So that's a really interesting question. And I think a lot of times I try to talk about everything that we do, right? Um, so I very much got my start, you know, in the business, um, reaching out to people I felt like were already a captive audience. If you enjoy video games and you wanted to compete, I organized tournaments. I felt like that was my my key to getting started. And that was, you know, there's the choir. I don't have to do no preaching to them. And they would come out to fighting game tournaments, which were these incredibly competitive scenes, which aren't always as super inclusive as people would probably like. But it also gave me a lot of experience on the logistics. Right. So literally, how do you go from point A to point B with 10 televisions, get them all upstairs, get set up? It gave me a lot of great practice on that. Um, And I would think if I would talk about that time, the environment was definitely incredibly competitive. It was I'm the best at Street Fighter. I'm here to play that. And making friends kind of comes second to that. And then I started feeling like, man, this market is kind of saturated with that. We got a ton of people trying to put on tournaments. Tournaments are cool and all. But guess what? Me and my brother competed in games, but part of our experience, too, was also having fun and just kind of liking the experience. Um, And it's around that time, maybe about two years in, I started really thinking more about the idea of, like, what if games were a party? What if, in a way, you could bring your flavor of fun to an event knowing that the generation you grew up in is getting ready to be adults and they want to party and play video games? Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, we could also talk to how some of these games, you know, just are out of some people's reach. So it's also a cool thing to experience like, oh, wow, this like virtual reality thing that I've never tried. That would be cool to come out and experience. I started thinking about that and rebranded in about two years or so. Um, to a logo that was a lot more bright, fresh, and fun. The colors were different. Um, I had, you know, we were still running tournaments, but as opposed to running tournaments as the only way you could participate, we ran tournaments as a means of creating spectacle. It was something for people to watch and have fun in without having to be a competitor. Um, And guess what? So much around the event was about party like free drink you know we got free no it was like no and there you go no and that was and that was real where i watched this difference between this entire male demographic of competition 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 that then turned into like wait so you guys are gonna have like free drinks you know, or a discount on drinks in general, food, something like Ladies that. Coming through? And then, and, oh, so, we- and so, yeah, so no, and it definitely changed from a, an atmosphere of 
all eyes are on the video game to the people who are playing the game can play the game. But then guess what? We're engaged in conversation or we're going to play something that doesn't require 100 percent of our attention. We could play something at a really casual place, have a uh, drink, have something to eat while we do it. And I really thought that was a great pivot. I said, you know, I'll always have the ability and the experience to run tournaments. But now making events fun is to me, I was like, this is the wave of the future. Right. Um, and, um, I don't think I ever took who I was as a black man or as a black person, as a part of the Sporia as a whole. And I never thought about it, you know, very centrally or focally in that. And I felt like I should have the right to express myself however I wanted to express myself, but it wasn't because I lost that or lost sight of it. But what made me think back about maybe some of the things you and Gabby probably discussed was that. I said, man, I, I, I've built, you know, a lot around this business, around having fun in video games, playing video games, having competitions. And I started getting contracted for these conventions. Mm -hmm. So I've been a frequenter of all of these anime conventions, these comic book conventions. And we started to travel. We would go, you know, over to New York. We would go down south. And I started thinking what have I done for kids in, in the neighborhood that I grew up in right. that look like me? You know, I'm going to all of these different places and people are like, this is so cool. This is so great. Um, and in the back of my mind, I just always thought, I said, well, you know, I don't even know how to bring this experience to them in that way. Um, because what's important is the parents look at it the right way. Right. right. Um, a lot of times parents, and this is across the board, black, white, or other, treat video games like a babysitting tool. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, here you go. There they are. Go on and play them. Thank you very much. Is your homework you know, done? Exactly. Fine. And then, and then you can go in there. Um, and I was like, the experience I want, I wanted to be a bit more enhanced about that. So I started, you know, looking back at the things that I knew about, which were tournaments and how, you know, people are out here making millions of dollars, you know, Wait, playing million? games. I'm sorry. The kid who won a Fortnite tournament two, we, two weeks ago now won $3 million. I'm, wait, hold on. Time. At 15 minutes into this interview, I'm yeah. sorry. You want you want to make a pivot into a not even a pivot. I just who, who sponsored like who put into the the pot like. So I think real quick to give everybody some game on. You can where, make millions. Yeah, he made millions. Well, I'm and not. Even though he might be in a, level, no, no, no and I mean like, like he might be the only person in the top. There might be a t uh, 10th percentile of people who are making generating okay, millions. Okay, fine. You got this. to break that stuff um, down. I'm about no, to quit no, my no. job tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a book. <laughs> I think, but this is but this is this is a really great example of it, right? There are ways to generate revenue in this that most of us are casually unfamiliar with. And even though, once again, we always want to talk about the superlatives, right? We want to talk about somebody won $4.3 million in, in Fortnite, got to give $1.5 million back in taxes, but um, won $4.3 million. And, um, you know, we talk about, oh, Ninja is the most popular streamer, and he just got, you know, a few million dollars for signing with someone else. Um, the thing is, is that I thought of something um, that was unique to me, and I found a way to create a business and professionalize what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's the same kind of opportunity. Even though I'm not telling everybody they're getting ready to become a millionaire by jumping into this, I know that there are people from my neighborhood that don't know that this industry exists at all. And I used to say all the time, I said, we're going to have, especially when it comes to esports, which is kind of where this idea started to develop around, um, you know, I was like, what I want to do is I want to do a workshop specifically for young black students 
um, and young children of color to learn about the world of esports before they get left out of it. Because guess what? Some of the problems that we experienced are still the same problems today. I didn't game as much on the computer I had at home because we couldn't afford a nice computer. Well, guess what? Your nephews and your nieces might own Xbox Ones and PlayStation 4s, but nobody's getting no serious money on Xbox Ones or PlayStation 4s. People are playing, people that play in esports generally are playing things that are on PCs or on high end PCs that you don't got one at home. Right. And guess what? You might have that a computer. There you go. Exactly. Name X number it is. Yeah. And so you 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 don't you don't go to basketball camp and practice with a volleyball. Sure, they're both rounds. Sure, shacks. you can shoot them both. Exactly, you can shoot them both. But that's not the same. You practice with the tools that you're getting ready to try mm-hmm. to go into competition with. And I felt like um, what I was doing is bridging my experience as an entrepreneur in this thing that I love and I know that kids can relate to. And I'm bridging that into like, hey, so I, I have a, uh, a service agreement with DePaul University. They just started a gaming program. I've worked with Robert Morris. They're like the godfather of like, hey, That's we started where my esports. Cousin- graduated from yeah the one that probably would have probably would have yep, yep. literally and he went into graphic design and now has his like he's he's you basically yeah um but yeah just in terms of robert morris they they truly are like they were ahead of the time in terms of trying to get people yeah, into very, stem careers yeah and um yeah no i said so maybe what i can do is take some of that knowledge and and form it in a way where people can take a letter from it and parents can go Oh, so this is more than just a reward mechanism. I don't have to use games as a way to reward them for good behavior. It's just like basketball. It's just like football where you're trying to create well-rounded people through these activities and you can teach them a lot of life lessons about teamwork and discipline and working hard. Because guess what? You might like video games, but you don't sit down and practice something over and over again. Whereas a lot of these collegiate teams for them, it's like, well, we have practice and we we practice the execution of how we do these particular things. But guess what? Just like traditional sports, if you like doing it, practicing it is not like torture. Practicing it is like, well, great, man. I want to see myself get better at something. And you teach the lesson that if you stay disciplined and you work hard at something, you'll reap the benefits. You'll see your uh, personal improvement. And so, yeah, you know, I like to try to make sure people understand that um, my business is multifaceted because I feel like it grew and evolved. I feel like I grew and evolved. And what I wanted for my business at first was to try to, get a certain level of personal happiness and success. But I think as I was able to grow and evolve through my matriculation, the idea is that, well, what if I could do something that really affects the young Kevin at an elementary school whose parents don't understand why they like video games and don't know there's a way for them to, they're going to think of something better than I could. Mm -hmm. And somebody just needs to plant the seed and kind of try to nurture and grow it. Yeah. And that's it. It's just a matter of like, who wants to take time to develop it, you know? And a lot of times, even from a a family aspect, it's just a matter of like, a lot of the times our, our communities or our households are in a mode of look. This is what we need to do. This is our debt to right here. You know, income ratio. <laughs> this is what I'm not thinking about necessarily. And it doesn't make them bad or our parents bad parents. But it's like they're like, I'm trying to keep food on this table. I'm trying to keep <laughs> yeah, these no, kids very true. in school. 
I don't know what the core curriculum is, but yeah. you got a computer class there, you know, like, yeah. and, and I think that's something where it's like, I love to now see, you know, this interest in STEM and, and pushing forward, even myself, like, and I, I keep it separate with church and state, but the company that I do work for, yeah. I was an adult that got brought on to, I was a part of the Ad Color Ad Futures program. That was the first time in my life that I saw black women working in tech who weren't necessarily engineers and coders. And I, and I saw yeah. engineers who were black women too. And it blew my mind. I'm like, girl, what, like you study in NASA? Like what, what is the, yeah. the class that you take for this? You know, but even just outside of that, just even seeing women of color or black women specifically in these type of, of positions. And it was still to this day, I sit there and be like, man, like I went to the museum of science and industry every weekend with my dad. Like, that still is my favorite mm, building in this city. Okay. Like, it, it just didn't click. Or I remember in seventh grade, I did computer camp oh, at okay. UIC. Yeah. And I just thought it was something cool and fun. And I was like, okay, well, that was fun for the and summer. You, just moved you know, on. And yeah. you just moved on. So if it's a matter of, you know, finding those ways to connect those dots or to, to link that up, I think that's fucking amazing, you yeah. know. Um, so looking into, you know, now how you balance, you know, your professional side, your brand, like clearly everybody was like, Kevin, what's up? You know, what kind of kind. So how do you balance, you know, your brand itself in terms of the personal side? It's like, look, I'm chilling. We going to cock this outside cap to the side. And I'm just in my <laughs> own space for the day. Leave me alone. Like, what are some things that you do to, to kind of like, you know, woo side, if you will? Um, I think I get on the road a lot. And okay. guess what? That puts me, that gets me uh, driving behind the wheel by myself sometimes. Driving slow on Sunday morning. Um, yeah. And I mean, in a lot of ways, it's therapeutic. Sometimes it's boring, obviously. <laughs> but um, no, honestly, um, I've driven, you know, one of the longest and boring driving. Shout outs to the people to the north of us, man. Wisconsin is a long and boring. It's just seeing, oh seeing nothing for a long time going up 94. Yeah. And granted, um, I actually have a lot of fun visiting uh, Madison. I have a lot of fun visiting Milwaukee. Um, but once you get towards that part where you're trying to go like between Minnesota and headed towards Canada, mm -hmm. you just nothing for a really long time, nothing for a long time. But guess what? I end up sitting and reflecting about like, so how did this work that weekend? Or maybe we should have tried this or I haven't even thought about that. Um, and sometimes the ideas come to me and I, I get to take a, a second away from everybody. And um, when you're just on the road, there's nothing in between you but the That's miles solitude. in between you. Yep. It'll give you time to think, yep. you know, just time to really, you know, hear your own thoughts. And I think that's super important, especially like the pressures that, you know, young black men and women have. And, yeah. and we're always in go mode or survivor mode or I got to do this next event or, you know, we really don't even have time to just. Yeah, yeah sit and chill, you know, and I, I'm not a believer in the saying, like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. No, I'll be dead when I'm dead. It's <laughs> like, I'm supposed to sleep yeah. now. <laughs> I'm going to get the relative hours in there sometime, but I think that is still important to emphasize. Like, even when you do have a bomb-ass brand that you're building, like, you still need to take that time, yeah. you know, for yourself. So, when it comes down to, you know, looking into, like, like you said, maybe it's something you could have done better or, you know, in the wonderful world of gaming or STEM in general. Like, was there a time where you were just like, look, I don't think this brand's going to work out like this. Or maybe the contracts had starting to come in. Like, did you almost walk away from it? Like, what what was something that, like, made you come back to it if you did? 
No. No, <laughs> okay. no, I, no I honestly, I think I, I've always probably operated with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because um, when we first started doing a lot of these bar events, when I first decided to kind of walk away from this traditional Saturday afternoon, all-day tournament kind of idea mm-hmm. and say, well, what if we did pop-up nights at particular bars? Um, bars would tell me no all the time on something that I knew I was right about. Um, one of the first goals that I had was I wanted to uh, have a venue. I wanted to own a venue that, you know, people came and played video games at as an adult, enjoyed, you know, a drink with friends, that type of thing. And guess what? I thought of that, you know, this is pre-Emporium headquarters, pre-all of those things. And guess what? I did not have access <laughs> to someone who could say, well, here's what you need in order to do that. This is what the overhead for this looks like. And you probably need someone that has, you know, a few years of experience of uh, bar management if you're going to go that direction. And this is where you go to get, you know, investment money and sponsors and stuff like that. And I'm talking about I spend my wheels on that for about two years looking at. I mean, it's funny because now I drive around and be like, you know, I used to look at that real estate all the time. It's funny it became that when it was nothing, when it was a warehouse and I was like, this is a blank camera for me to make like a gaming um a game lounge you know now that they're probably more popularly called and um then I took that like I said and started moving towards these bar events and guess what we would fill bars up and they would be like we don't want to do it again and I'll be like why not it was like that's just not who we're looking for um and so I would just I, I you know they I think in a lot of ways you were looking at um young black and even young white people that were 23 24 and a lot of bars was like, that's not sexy, though. Like, this isn't a sexy crowd. And we want the after work, you know, Ty Lucent kind of guy to come here and, and spend their money. And so I always operated from the standpoint that, well, I know that this idea is good. I know that I'm on the right side mm-hmm. of this. Um, and even though I'm taking losses from it now, this is just a matter of time. It's a matter of time before there's zero. They're literally 2009, 2010, 2011. They're literally zero arcade bars. 2013, they get their Emporium bills, the first one over there in Wicker Park, which is a completely different neighborhood than what mm-hmm. it was in 2009. Now they have Wicker Park uh, Emporium. They've got the Logan Square Emporium. Ain't there one back. Fulton Market. I was going to say, ain't there one in front of Google? Like- San Francisco. Uh, I think they got one in Oakland. They're getting a real run in Las Vegas before there was a headquarters. One, two, three. Before there was a replay beer and bourbon. You know, so now we got more of them than we can count. And honestly, I love making my trips about going to a different city and trying out their arcade bar and having some of the local beers and playing the games they did. I collect the tokens from these places. <laughs> you know, so an idea that they didn't have before, I can travel to places now and they literally have one in virtually every city. I was in Quad Cities. I was in Davenport. Wow. Davenport has one. And then if you drive 10 minutes down the road, you're in Moline. Moline has one. Moline, Illinois has one. Peoria has one. Peoria got one. Philly's got Philly's got two of them. You know, so wherever I go, there's no shortage of this idea that I knew was a good idea. I had people that own restaurants and bars that were telling me no for the longest that I knew was going to become the next great idea. And um, you know, I never regret that I didn't have the uh, the resources to catch on or something like that. I feel like that this was just my story, and um, that was the way I was going to experience it. So, shout out to you and the persistence, because I'm not going to be. 
I think it we all, you know, say like, oh, I'm just going to keep pushing through. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's like, if you see something on that scale where it's like, I'm I'm sorry, not only is this an idea that I also have, but now that it popped up in five spaces, yep. like, I'd have probably walked up in there like, where's the owner? We need to talk. Let me, let me holler at you. <laughs> how did you take this idea from me? Right, you know? I don't know. I don't know how, but I know you did. Well, I will also say this, and that's why I'm so big. And, and you clearly have done an excellent job of like protecting your brand and staying true to yourself and creating yeah. this inclusive space for, you know, young black creative technologists. But I'm always very big on sometimes people are telling you no because they want it. Like, mm. sometimes they ain't telling you no because it's necessarily a bad idea, yeah. you know. Or maybe you could have been in front of the wrong people. But sometimes I'm very selective in the sense of, like, especially in Chicago. Yeah. I'm like, Chicago hustling that city, and we will finesse the fuck out of somebody. But it is something where it's like, at times, I just sit there, and I'm like, I will always take what someone thinks is a bad idea as a grain of salt. Because, and like the thing is, you, you knew your shit yeah. was a good idea. And it is a good idea, you know? And you still have these amazing partnerships and are building your brand and it's getting bigger and bigger. And so that's something that I think is amazing of what happens when you stay true to yourself and yeah. not listen to what other people are saying, you know? And and that's different than constructive criticism, you know? So, and like you said, when you have those those drives with yourself and you're like, okay, this is when I could have made this better. Or maybe yeah. this is how I could have improved it versus... Oh, well, you know, Chuck said no, so it's just going to be a no. Like, fuck Chuck. Like, dude, figure out what's going to make you yeah. happy and what's going to help you, you know, push forward. Um, so even in just wrapping up, like, when it comes to where you see I play games, you know, growing, I know you have the component where you want to work more so with, like, school children, and yeah. then you actually have the component where you have your cor corporate partnerships and, you know, these events that you're curating, like, do you sit back and be like, I'm going to be the Diddy of gaming? <laughs> it's happening now. Like, what, what's your goal at the He's end of He's probably that? more flamboyant than I ever want to be. Diddy, ha Diddy has a, a level of flair that I probably will always be like, that's you. You know, you're going to have that. Um, no, but honestly, I feel like um, in a lot of ways, one of my probably immediate to long-term goals, um, I can see how I can begin to bridge um, what I do in the big sense. So imagine, you know, one of the groups that I've consistently worked with is Read Pop. And uh, Read Pop is the group that puts on C2E2, that puts on right. New York Comic Con, Emerald City Comic Con. They also own uh, portions of uh, the Penny Arcade Expo events. Okay. And I can see where my efforts of working with, uh, with, uh, with the youth in those ways can be like, let me show you a part of this world that you might not, you know, be familiar with. And through the experiences I can give you on a day-to-day -day basis, let me show you how this all culminates into something big. So I really do feel like there's some overlap in these um, things that I'm doing that I, I feel like in a lot of ways, it's just a matter of connecting the dots. Um, I think what I did at WakandaCon was great. I think what you guys did at WakandaCon was great, especially with Gabby and the programming, because again, that's an incredible way for kids to say, okay, so I'm sitting down to a yeah. machine that I want to have fun at, and even though this isn't the fun I was thinking of, you introduce it to them in a new way. And guess what? Every kid you sit down to a, a PC or sit down to a game station does not necessarily become the next Bill right. Gates, does not necessarily become the next uh, Daigo, Sonic Fox, any one of those things, great game players, but you inspire the right ones, right? I think the thing that I would say I want to do for most kids is not necessarily turn them into game heads or into tech heads because everybody's different. Um, I would like to say that 
we should strive to expand the world that our kids think about, right? Just because we think about something and think about how it's successful now in our day and age doesn't necessarily mean that'll translate for them. Because uh, once again, parents told us a lot of stuff that they did to the best of their ability, the way that they saw the world, not knowing the stock market was going to crash. The housing market was mm-hmm. going to crash. Um, some sectors of the tech field were oversaturated. They had no idea, right? Right. But I think the thing is, is that you don't teach kids to try to go into something and be good at one thing. You try to expand their minds and their thinking by introducing them to new things so that they can learn to figure these things out for themselves exactly. as the world changes. So, yeah, no, man, I, I think that this is just one thing that I know I'm going to take the thing that I know how to do. <laughs> And if I expand that one part of their thinking and their worldview, you know, I find that successful. That's yes. And that's an intangible that, you know, you can't go into a a Chase or a Bank of America or any, you know, financial. Can I can I get um, 20,000 in (laughs) self-respect? Thanks. Just put liquid funds. (laughs) Just just break it up. I'll cover, you know, so I think that's phenomenal and that's amazing and shows your commitment, you know, to that next generation as well. And. That's also where I get my inspiration from. Like, you know, Gaffin's event, you know, I was there to just help, you know, and watching her. Just help? No, you you guys were there providing a really cool presence, man. And I I was in shock. Like, she got all these. We work for, I'm like, how did you get competitors (laughs) to show up and sponsor this? Like, this is our company plus them. Like, that was, I was blown away by it, you know, and I tell her all the time just how amazing she is. Like, I was like, well, girl, I'm trying to take some some keys from you and learn. And that that's the thing. Like, when you have that environment of truly wanting everyone to win and truly wanting to create spaces where we all feel, you know, the love and, and the togetherness, that's what yeah. it's all about. And like I said, like, she can't stand me because some days I'm like, look, girl, I didn't play Pokemon as a kid. It, it, like, you going to love don't, me or not? I don't not. know the reference. Exactly. I do not understand. Like, at most, I watched Digimon. <laughs> like, but that's the thing, like. That's the beauty of blackness. You know, we come in so many different shades and arrays and I may not know anything or be super deep into gaming, but whenever I talk to my cousin, he's just so excited about like, yeah, this is my 501c3 and this is what I'm doing, you know, with kids and I'm linking up with PNC Bank, you know, to really bring STEM into schools. And I see like what you're doing in the same, you know, vein in Chicago and then Gabby and every and Rachel yeah. and everyone else that I you know I come into contact with that's truly what like you're like well let me get my let me <laughs> send the Starbucks a little bit right. longer like and make sure I get this together you know so no I, and I, I honestly you know not to cut you off no, you're but good. Go I just want to make sure that I give room to not only you know thank both you guys but also um, thank Gabby as well because it's incredibly important mm-hmm. to me especially. Um, on a personal note, but also, um, you know, again, talking about our community as black people, um, to me, I just, I'm always thrilled and I'm, um, eager to work with other black people that kind of recognize the light in me. Right. Um, cause you know, doing what I do, a lot of times you can get looked over very quickly for being a guy that likes video games and people don't think any more eloquent of you than that. Um, and you deal with that, right? Because, you know, you stay your lane. You know, they don't do mm-hmm. what you do, so they don't know the magnitude of what it is that you're working on. But then when you work with people who aren't necessarily in your industry or aren't doing what you do and they recognize and see something for you, um, 
I just I always find it incredibly not only important, but in the, I, I'm enthusiastic about coming and doing someone's podcast when they be like, you know what, man, you like really trying to do something that I never thought of in that right. way. Um, so, no, I mean, you know, just off of my personal gratitude, you know, to you for ha- for inviting Aww. me. And um, of course, to Gabby, once again, man, Shout she out. she tried to include me. And I mean, like I'm uh, I'm very new to Instagram in that way. <laughs> Um, she definitely tried to tag me and I woke up trying to read something and then uh, took the notification off. So, yeah. <laughs> we going to get you it. right. Yeah, See, no, you, right. You're exactly. great in all the other areas of STEM. <laughs> so if we can just get you with these no, native ads. Like. No, honestly, I had to get on the gram because I realized <laughs> I realized how I was missing out on young black women who were trying to relate with me. They would be like, oh, that's a cool business. So how I catch up with you? And they'd be like, "Let me, what's your Instagram? And I'd be like, I don't have one. And I could watch the interest in their face right, just like, be like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> right. That, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. You sit there looking like, let me figure out what the fuck this yeah, is. Yeah, let me see like, what's going on here. And, um, you know, so I had to make it fun for myself. So on Instagram, I model T-shirts. That's my thing. I enjoy yes. I enjoy funny T-shirts, and I usually record my escapades at Arcade Bar. So. I'm here for it. No, that's fucking dope. And, <laughs> and next event, definitely invite me. I'll be sitting there like, Joy has questions. It's here at the latest. I'm like, oh, hey, yeah. I'm not going to be playing nothing because I don't no. want to embarrass myself. But <laughs> No, we'll, fi- we'll find a way for you to uh, enjoy something. Have you ever played the Jackbox Party Pack? I have not. You know what? The games I loved as a kid, I loved playing Driver and I loved oh, playing yeah. I loved playing um Dead or Alive too. Those the two DOA, okay. I yes, can dig that it. was I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Mortal Kombat, <laughs> but Dead or Alive too. Like that's something I went over to my friend's house and that's all we played every day. Nice. So nice. yes, um, but no, love, it has been amazing having you on the show. I'm so happy that you were able to come and say, see, I'm about right. to turn around. I'm like, no, I'm gonna get you on. Yeah. So if there's any way that, you know, I can help and support and, you know, help spread the word, I will be sure to do so. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Definitely. It's your girl Joy has questions once again. I will holler at you next week. Bye. Hey, everybody. So today my motivational message is it is okay to be a bitch sometimes in business. I know everyone, you know, we all love the spiritual word and everybody be listening to Derek Jackson and ooh, let's see what, you know, the mans have to say from Tyler Perry shows. And that's great. I am all about taking the high road. I truly try and vibrate or live by that vibration of the best revenge is living well. But there comes a time when when you are doing business with someone, sometimes you just have to whip it out on the table and say, I am not dealing with the fuckery. I have no problem being transparent without being messy. Long story short, I am currently, you know, actually thinking about legal action against a vendor that I worked with just because of the lack of professionalism, um, the lack of communication, the lack of, of... how do I even put this? Um, communication. I'm not going to say education because I'm not going to try and come for this person's life, but just the lack of, I should say, common sense of how to really do onto others as you want to be done. If you want to take a sabbatical, that is fine. If you want a woosah, completely understand it. You can go through my page and see I didn't take taking like six in the past two years. Like sometimes a bitch just needs to reset. That is not the issue. But when you have a service, when you have a business, 
when you have something that you are charging good American Caucasian dollars, because they not nab person of color on that money, then it is your responsibility to act accordingly and above all things to know what the fuck you are talking about and to treat people with the respect, not just because they paid, but because that's what you do when you are a decent fucking human being. I think a lot of times we love as black Christians, you know, oh, turn the other cheek and what Jesus would do. Well, look, let me just say this. I got, you know, the story of Jesus dying for my sins as well, but I also got Jesus turning the hell up and destroying uh, money coffers in the temple and going off on Sadducees and Pharisees who were sitting there mistreating the common man. So if you want to sit here and talk about, you know, I don't know why people at times use that as like, kind of like this, this ideology, like Jesus was, you know, uh, lamb chop Jesus is gangster like so even if you don't necessarily believe in in Christ or in in Christianity completely understand that but trust and believe whenever you deal with religion you will find the calm the beautiful the loving you will also find the wrathful and like I said I'm made in whose image the Lord so if you don't want to deal with at times the calmness and if those moments happen that's completely okay never do anything to sink down to this person's level or to be just completely disrespectful like I'm not gonna talk about somebody's edges or Ross clothing or whatever I'm not that type of person but there is nothing wrong with reading somebody sometimes from A to K in terms of where they had you fucked up and what you will not allow I don't care if it's personal I don't care if it's business I don't care if it's real estate. I don't care if it's the person that stood in front of you at Sean Michelle's ordering that amazing vegan coconut ice cream and didn't have the forewithal to respect you to say, hey, sis, can I butt you in line? There is nothing wrong sometimes with having to have a moment as long as you know what that moment is for. Never, ever, ever let somebody take advantage of you. Never, ever, ever let somebody mess with your money. And never, ever, ever let somebody get away with shitty behavior. You don't have to scream. You don't have to yell. But you can get them the whole and entire fuck together. And there is nothing wrong with doing that. So my motivational message this week is sometimes if you have to be that bitch to get to that other place, to get to the other side, to prove to people you are not the one, then you continue to do that and push your business forward. That is it for me. I hope everyone has an amazing week and holler at me later on on Joy Has Questions. (laughs) 